Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Be brave, give what you can, and then be absolutely amazed at what happens next. TED Talk curator Chris Anderson believes this mantra can remedy some of the world's biggest problems. In our constantly connected era, kindness and generosity can go viral instead of anger and outrage. His new mission starts with a new book about the science of kindness, the power of individual acts, and of course the stories that inspire us to be the change we want to see. His book is called Infectious Generosity, the ultimate idea worth spreading. And Chris Anderson joins me now. Hello. Hello, Jesse. Uh, well done on this book, by the way. I found it very hopeful, and I think a lot of us are thinking, you know, what is the way out of um, a lot of the problems we see? And, and this uh, book, I think, is an attempted sort of prescription for what to do from here, which we'll get into. Can I ask about this word infectious? That's quite an interesting word choice for this project. Why infectious? Well, I think we discovered it a few years ago just how powerful that word is. <laughs> I mean, you think about it, you know, this tiny little virus. Put yourself in its shoes back in 2019, just before it mutated just that little bit and entered a human, he was probably thinking, I'm small, I'm actually invisible, <laughs> I'm not likely to ever do much in life. And then uh, suddenly, bingo, um, there you go, shutting down the world economy and killing a few humans in the process. I mean, that's power. And so you don't have to be big to be powerful, turns out. You just have to be infectious. And the question is, can good things become infectious and clearly in in the connected age that we're in they actually can and uh, so yeah so the book is saying what if we reshaped mutated generosity just a little for the modern era what magic might result and uh, it's it's the book is a quest for answers to that of what it takes to make the good stuff go go viral and give us a shot at at defeating the awful growing meanness of the modern world. And for 20 years, you've probably seen and heard more inspirational stories than anyone else on the planet at TED. So of all the things you might write about, why generosity and why now? I mean, generosity, because it's it's really behind everything. I mean, the civilization was only built because somehow humans figured out how to cooperate with each other. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a hard thing for species to evolve you know we're, we're, we're fighting for survival uh how did how did this happen well it's an interesting scientific story behind it but here we are we have generosity actually wired inside us and that that is that is what has allowed all the progress ultimately that we've made to be made and um and it's suddenly become more relevant than ever because suddenly instead of being connected to just 150 people in a, in a little community or village or something our village is billions of people and, and we're all connected and, and we can we can send anything wriggling across the world in huge numbers and for no cost. So that that's kind of amazing. And it and I, I think there's just so much underexplored possibility there. Yeah, and some of the context to this is artificial intelligence, and uh, which has uh, a contagious quality itself. Um, do you see generosity as part of the antidote to 
some of the concerns we have around artificial intelligence or some of the worst possibilities of widespread artificial intelligence? Well, I think it's crucial that we don't just train AI on the internet as it is today, because the internet as it is today is just full of nastiness. And we we don't want to teach our future robot overlords that humans are, are as represented often online. Uh, we would like to show them our better selves and, uh, you know, create a playbook for that. This is, this is what good behavior looks like. This is what, you know, what, what humans do and what, with a bit of reflection, they actually would like to do. Those are two different things. And so I, I, I just see the, the process of trying to create a more generous, connected connection space among us is just really important for its own sake, but also because it can, I think, impact the coming AI revolution. There's one phrase from your book that really uh, stuck with me. Good happens slowly, bad happens quickly. Can you unpack that a wee bit and and, and explain why it's significant as we talk about um, our perceptions of the world and the world as presented by the internet? Yeah, it's, it's, I think, a really profound thing. We live in a really chaotic universe. For anything good to happen, people need to make it happen. And that process takes, takes time. It takes intentionality, often between multiple humans working together. Someone has a dream. Maybe they're an entrepreneur. Maybe they're a reformer. They have a dream. They share it with other people. Over time, they painstakingly assemble the resources that they need to make that dream real. And all of this, you, you know, takes effort and potentially years. And there's no moment in that process where someone goes, hold the front page, yeah. we've got a big story here. Um, so, so, you know, you can, you can take seven years to build a beautiful building and half a second to blow it up. And it's the latter that makes it to the news. The former ne- never does. And so it's, it's, so it's a really unfortunate thing that the, that the honest intent of many media outlets including social media is to say what's the most dramatic thing that just happened the answer to that question is almost always going to be something bad which gives us the impression that the world is you know going to rot and uh, and it shapes who we are and how we think of each other we we think the only thing we read about other humans often is the bad stuff and so we become resentful and we divide ourselves into tribes and, and so forth. And there's other things that contribute to it. But right at the heart of it is, is the fact that we, we pay attention to what's just happened. And uh, that, that is going to be the bad stuff. It's, it's a, it, we're actually giving ourselves a false picture of the world because under the surface, there are incredible acts of kindness happening every day. We just don't pay attention to them. Hmm. You talk about returning power to our reflective selves instead of our instinctive selves. And, and you also reference another great thinker on this, Daniel Kahneman, um, who, who talks about system one thinking and system two thinking. Can, can you t- tell us a bit about the difference between the two and and the importance of trying to put our focus on that, um, that more reflective aspect of ourselves? So this is so important. Like often people want to say, well, are people basically good or are they basically bad or what? And the answer is, all of the above. We are really complex, weird things who, who have lots of different strange mm. stuff going inside us. And most of the time, we are driven by our instinctive selves, our system one 
cells which have ancient evolutionary roots and that they're, they're kind of amazing they're capable of all kinds of emotions and snap quick reactions often very smart reactions to the situation we're in but um they aren't actually who we want to be like the stories we tell about ourselves that is comes from our reflective selves it's it's a slower mental systems but they're ultimately the systems that when we're on our deathbed we want we want those to be in charge and so i i think so much of life is about trying to give your reflective self power of your instinctive self whether you're talking about workout or diet or procrastination mm. uh, the, the, it's hard to do and what's one of the things that's gone terribly wrong on the internet is that we've we've built these algorithms that are designed to stoke up and stimulate our instinctive selves at every point um, that's how we get glued. That's how we end up doom scrolling. And we come off it and our reflective self goes, oh, did I really just spend half an hour doing that? Um, but we, 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 we have, so we have to win this battle. We have to figure out how to go online and be our better selves. Look for good intent in each other instead of just being outraged by each other. Look for wonder and delight and amplify the stuff that actually makes life worth living instead of the stuff that makes us furious and disgusted. Uh, it's it's a challenge, but it's actually doable. Definitely the companies could help with some design changes on their end. But we ourselves, by being careful about who we follow, who we like and amplify, how much time we spend on before taking a forced break, etc., we can make a huge difference to this ourselves. I'm speaking with Chris Anderson from TED. His book is called Infectious Generosity, The Ultimate Idea Worth Spreading. And you have given, actually, as you as you allude to, four specific actions social media companies could take to, um, to solve some of these problems, publicly prioritise user satisfaction over eyeball hours. That one's pretty self-explanatory. Um, end anonymity, that's an interesting one, eh? Yeah, I mean, people under the guise of anonymity can be more reckless and more critical and more savage. I mean, p- people sometimes are that under their own name, <laughs> but um, but but definitely anon- anonymity, even though it's essential in certain situations, um, as a general thing, I think it's, it's destructive to the public debate. Yeah, commit to product design that engages reflective behaviour too. Now instinctively um, uh, the people in charge of these companies may push back against that because they get paid for eyeball hours although you make the case that actually if people are happier online that may end up leading to a better quality of advertiser anyway that's right I mean I think I think short term uh, there's a possible risk that they lose out on some ad dollars but I mean long term I think most of the people in these companies want to contribute to the public good they don't want to be doing something that's destructive. And and I think ultimately their, their investors and users want that as well. So there's that there's there's some important decisions to be taken here. But by uh, actually Elon Musk himself said publicly that what he wanted Twitter, now X, to be was to maximize unregretted user minutes. Huh. That was his words. And uh and if, if he was serious about that, that would be huge. Regret is a function of the reflective self. And if you can minimize that, um, you know, that, that's super positive, of course. 
<laughs> it's um, it, it's it's very questionable about whether he's he's succeeded in doing that. But I mean that that is the right goal. That is the right goal. Yeah. Uh, so much of what you talk about, um, trying to do the right thing, do the kind thing, do the generous thing, even when we instinctively feel like doing the opposite. Um, can I just note that we used to have um, religious religious attendance, um, uh, mm. a, a kind of a, a wider belief in a God or a godly figure who keeps you honest in this way, who gives you an incentive to be like this. So do you think that kind of decline in the Western world, at least, of religious attendance is having an impact on our levels of kindness and generosity? And do you think we have any incentive to be that way if we don't believe in God? Yeah, so we are, I think, conducting a bold experiment, social experiment on a massive scale by, you know, many, many parts of the world have let go of religion. And religions for hundreds of years have assembled their faithful every week to remind them that life is better if you live for something bigger than you are, to find your moral self and all the rest of it. Um, by letting go of that, it you could argue, I think I probably think it is likely that that has contributed to why the world feels meaner now and why a lot of people have forgotten that there is even a better self to sort of to to, to fight for and to and to be i think there are several ways in which we we can get that back and one is just to you know we we are so influenced by each other and if we can find the joy and the wonder and the delight and the goodness in each other and amplify that it's infectious and we we you know we we are all lifted by that um i also think that just to the point you made about you know i was certainly brought up to be fearful of god's anger if mm. i was to do something bad jesus is watching you you know it's that it's that this is what i believe most of mm. my life and i and i think even though it's you know i i think parents have always used language like this to try and keep their kids in order you know santa claus yes checking out what you're nice um i think the modern internet has a feature which some people find creepy but may actually be net benefit uh, of benefit which is that everyone is watching you you know that our, our behavior online the world is getting more transparent put it that put it that way and it is i think people are being given reason to to take pause before being super obnoxious because you can you can lose your reputation you can be um in some cases destroyed so this is complicated you don't want a world you don't want a global village where the villagers are all armed with pitchforks <laughs> and can destroy people but um but i think i think reputation really matters and it, it 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 on the one hand it's a really strong incentive to be generous and to spread um you could be known by thousands or even millions of people around the world for something, and that can transform what you can do in life. Um, but it's also, I don't think it's all bad that people are cautious before doing bad things today. I think I think that, you know, act as if everyone is watching you because they probably are. I, th I kind of think that's the future we're going into. And um, I don't know, I, I'm maybe I'm just an internal optimist, Jesse, but I, I actually see some upside in that. Yeah. Um, interesting. You're talking talking about, uh, well, 
this, this chat about um, religious t- attendance, whether or not you buy into the God thing, uh, church or its equivalent was at least a place you went once a week where they encouraged your virtuous self. Uh, I had a really good conversation with David Brooks um, about the fact that that doesn't really exist anymore, not in schools and not in families and with um, you know, church attendance, um, or religious attendance down. There isn't a place where we're reminded to, well, the value of those old school virtues and perhaps we're missing that i think it's likely true honestly it's um uh and and i i think one healthy thing that people could consider is just gathering you know gather with a group of friends regularly one of the most beautiful forms of generosity is is hospitality if you go and meet with friends and maybe not just just for the pleasure of eating and drinking together although that's lovely in itself but to do some dreaming about what you as a group might do in your community um, to make a difference. And I, I think there's actually huge joy and potentially huge impact to be found from this. If if a conversation goes, well, who do we know who could use some help, who's doing something cool, but maybe needs some extra resources? That That little brainstorm, if you can get consensus on something and then collaborate to do something, I, I just think this is this changes who we are. The act of building something beautiful with a group of other people is is transformative, and um, it certainly reminds you that that um, you know that there's you can all be your better self. But but it also it I mean it feels good. You get you get joy from it, and and I think it's infectious. Yeah, it's interesting, and and probably a, a longer conversation about whether generosity um, to make yourself happier or make your own life better is still generosity. Um, you do cover that in the book, but um, you, you know the Gallup poll. To, to a long story short, yeah. spoiler, spoiler alert, uh, the answer is yes, I think it's, it's generosity. <laughs> <laughs> does it doesn't mean it's easy to do, right? But it, you, you do it and there is, there is a medium to long-term effect of, of happiness. That is awesome. That's to be celebrated, not not used as the reason to say, oh, well, yeah, really generous. And you know the Gallup poll, actually, which shows a quite extraordinary correlation between charitable giving and happiness. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, I quote this poll. I think it's like a couple hundred thousand people um, uh, were polled. And one of the questions asked was, did you did you give to a cause or a charity uh, in, in, in the last month? Those who did were showing happiness levels higher than the rest, equivalent to as if their incomes had been doubled. I mean, that's an astonishing thing because we'd all like to have our incomes doubled, but it's not within our power. It is Mm -hmm. within our power to be generous. And it turns out that the actual psychological benefit from that is, is just as great. That's, that's pretty amazing right there. We should shout out to your mother, Gwendy Anderson. Um, you write that it was her insistence to never judge someone until you know their story uh, as to why you put a generosity mindset at the heart of the book. Um, what is a generosity Ooh. mindset and where should one begin? What are some suggestions for a, sort of a ripple to start the wave of kindness? Well, thank you for mentioning my mother. She was an extraordinary woman. Um and I'm I'm kind of daunted by her, her still. We lost her uh, a couple of months ago, um, but uh, daunted and inspired, you know. Mm. Um, so 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 
I mean, the generosity mindset is just that the, the, the mental shift that says you're willing to pay attention to something outside yourself. Um, the, you know, you're, you're willing to, to think about acting for the benefit of, of someone, not you. And, um, and it's, it sounds really simple, but it's, it's surprising how we spend so much of our days in sleepwalking mode or in sort of automatic pilot um, because we we have there's so much on, on our plates and we're stressed about a lot of things and so forth. The act of just decoupling from that and shook looking at someone and, and letting them feel seen and finding out whether there's anything that they need and having just having that conversation, it it it's hard to do it. There's a, almost a discomfort for some of us, especially the more introverted among us, perhaps. Um, but all the generosity starts there. And uh, and I think the way, I mean, I think there's two things that probably help to get there. One is, I mean, some people just hate themselves at some level and, uh, and you know, just, and that, so I mean, I think the first thing is is to find a way of not doing that, of, um, you know, there's a wonderful TED talk by Dan Harris on the whole process of how he came to forgive himself. And um, so that's one piece of it. Mm. Um, the other piece is just gratitude, the practice of gratitude. It, because we're wired to respond to generosity with generosity, if we find a way to be to, to express gratitude or feel gratitude, that in a way is saying the universe has been generous to me, and, and it makes us automatically want to give back. And there are there are so many things. It's one of our curses that we forget how lucky we are so quickly. Um, you know, you open your eyes and you see this incredible world around you that is never the same. You see colors and sights and shapes that are beautiful. Um, you live in a house that is protected against the elements. You can turn on a tap and have drinking water. I mean, it's like the, the list of things is actually mind boggling, even before you get to the people you love and the relationships that you care about and all the rest of it. And I, I just think it's it's just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful morning practice to just think of one thing even each morning even if it's just for like a minute before you go to the uh doom scrolling thing or whatever um it's it it shifts you it shifts you it makes you ready to consider reaching out and making that essential connection yeah and i should say that the you know the advice or the suggestions in the book um they're not all um they're not all difficult to do. They're not all, not all acts of sacrifice, shift attention, build bridges, share knowledge, enable connections. I mean, enable connections is just making introductions between people who you think would benefit from each other. That's fun. I mean, that's great to be able to do, uh, to do that. Extend hospitality, you always mentioned. And then this lovely one, number six, creates enchantments, and that encourages people with creative or artistic gifts to create. That That, that is a gift in itself. Yeah. I mean, Jesse, just listening to you, I have a hunch that some of your listeners would say you, you do a decent job of spreading enchantment from time to time. And it's here's the thing about generosity that is so exciting to me is that it's not it's not a zero sum thing. Um, the cost to the giver is usually much, much less than the benefit to, to the receiver. Huh. And you can see that in so many, so many different ways. I mean, just for you with the platform you've got, um, Spreading Enchantment, you know, you, 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 you spend 
few hours preparing for a show and, and you choose your words carefully, but, but tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, million, I don't know how big your audience is, many, many people feel something different as a result. That is not a zero-sum thing. Um, if a rich person gives money to a poor person, it's, an, it's the smallest thing for the rich person and it's potentially life-changing for the poorer person. Wow. If you share a contact with someone, that might be a 10-minute email and it might change the other person's life. Hmm. And again, again and again, it's, it's, it's not symmetric. And so if somehow we could imagine and spark and encourage each other to move towards a world where generosity was more deeply embedded, every boat rises, every boat rises. And it, it's, and, and especially now in this connected age where here's another piece of science, just the act of watching on video, someone being kind to someone else brings with it a sense of moral uplift of, of, of just as a sort of a feeling that, that is, helps you a feel better b make it more likely that you yourself will be kind so every in theory everything is there in place to have a much better future where we spread this you know if if generosity can become infectious ultimately every, everyone benefits because everyone has a way that they can give and and, and a thing that they need and um it's 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 just it's be it's beautiful. It's a really beautiful fact about it that um, we we're, we're we're all different, and we can be the answer to someone else's need in a way that is relatively easy for us to do and super meaningful to them. I've been talking to TED Talk curator Chris Anderson. His new book is called Infectious Generosity: The Ultimate Idea Worth Spreading. Chris, thanks for the inspiration and the hope, and lovely to talk to you today. Thanks so much, Jesse. This was fun. Thank you. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.